to Let's Good evening, and welcome to Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. This topics the good, the bad, and the ugly. In the hope that listeners will better understand our veterans, our veterans will know they're not alone, and perhaps along the way, we'll learn something about each other. We sincerely hope to accomplish that mission. The opinions expressed herein are mine alone as a veteran. got a great program for you tonight as usual. Since World War II adaptive sports has played a key role in helping those with service-connected disabilities recalibrate their lives. For Hudson Valley vets, brave adaptive sports may just be the right fit. Music has charms to soothe a savage breast. That famous line was uttered by a character in William Congreve's 1697 play, The Morning Bride. From the dance of the ancient Greeks to the propulsive bass of the disco floor to dancing with the stars, music goes hand in hand with body and soul. And tonight, Dr. Beatrice Krauss will tell us how her research and a small harp are bringing comfort to some Arizona veterans in hospice care. But first, a blast from the past. What is a canteen? Well, it's the thing you carry on your belt. It's got water in it, right? Well, it also became a place where our service men and women could gather for a few hours of food, fun, and fellowship amidst the backdrop of military service. We've seen Hollywood representations of the canteen in many movies, but one of the most famous was in North Platte, Nebraska. In 1941, it was a town of 12,000 people. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 12,000 people at this Union Pacific Railroad hub called North Platte. Ten days later, there was a train coming through with National Guard troops. The word went out it was Nebraska National Guard troops, and so some folks baked cookies and stuff and went down to the train. And they went down to, to give them some cookies, but they looked in the windows, and it wasn't Nebraska guys. They couldn't find any of their own. It turned out to be Kansas. But they stood there, you know, with the cookies and the cakes and stuff. And finally, one young woman by the name of Ray Wilson, a drugstore clerk, said, well, I'm not keeping my cookies. I'm not taking my cookies home. She stepped up and gave them to one of the young men, and then everybody gave their stuff. Immediately after that, when they started moving Army troops through and sailors and stuff, 
Ray Wilson organized some women, and they decided they were going to meet the trains that came through North Platte, Nebraska. And they started to meet the trains. And over the next four and a half years, they organized mostly women, 55,000 women. And they met every train that came in, sometimes up to 32 trains a day. And the Union Pacific Railway gave the restaurant to them, and they dubbed it the North Platte Canteen. And they got 10 minutes to get off the train. These guys would jump off the train, run in there, and there would be wall-to-wall -wall tables with sandwiches and cakes and pies. One woman said, my job during the war was to make 10 angel food cakes from scratch with turkey eggs every week in the back of that train station. Everything was rationed. People had to give it out of their own goods. Only $5 came from the government, and it was a check from Franklin Roosevelt. said, I heard you're doing some good things out there, and he sent five bucks. The people of these towns all over the, that area came there during the course of the war. I mean, these guys would jump out of the train, run in there, and there'd be hot coffee, there'd be donuts, there'd be pheasant sandwiches in season. And I said this at the Nebraska governor's prayer breakfast, and the senator came to me afterwards and said, sometimes pheasant sandwiches out of season. And uh, they'd get back on the train, and, and, and they'd go off, many never to return. During the course of the war, Six million United States servicemen and women came through North Platte, Nebraska, and every single train was met. And the story would go something like this. A guy would say, I graduated from Brooklyn High School, never been out of New York City. Went down and signed up on Monday. They put me on a train going west. I rode for three days and nights, sitting up, eating K-rations, not taking a shower, and somebody in the middle of the night said, North Platte, Nebraska, next stop. Never heard of North Platte, Nebraska. Jumped off the train, ran into a place, and I saw girls who looked like my sisters and my cousins and women who looked like my aunts and my mom. And they had all this food, and they just, they gave it to us. And when we left, they hugged us, and they said, Sailor, we're praying for you. God bless you. And we get back on the train, scared out of our minds, not knowing where we were going, not knowing if we'd ever come back. But when we went into that place for 10 minutes, something went away. We got back on the train and we went on. And in the middle of the night in France with mortars coming down when there was a lull on the finding, a voice would come out of the darkness saying, wouldn't it be great to be back in North Platte for five minutes? Because love chases away fear. And when Bob Green interviewed these guys, they'd start crying. 85-year-old guys start crying. say, what are you crying for? He said, because here I was, an 18-year-old kid, scared to death. And I went into that place, and for five minutes in the middle of the night in a place I'd never been to with people I'd never met, going to a place I didn't know, somebody loved me and was kind to me. I told this story in Denver. A young woman came up to me the next morning and said, when you were telling that story, I thought about my grandpa. My grandpa was in the Navy, and he lived in Pennsylvania, and I wondered, did he go through North Platte, Nebraska? She said, my grandpa's 90 years old in a nursing home, and he has dementia. He doesn't remember us most of the time. But I called him and I said, Grandpa, this is Jennifer. And I said, Grandpa, does the name North Platte, Nebraska mean anything to you? And he said, North Platte, Nebraska, instantly he was lucid. You bet it does. He said, I went in there and they gave me donuts and sandwiches and coffee and they shined my shoes. You bet I remember North Platte, Nebraska. What is it 60 years after the fact? that brings a 90-year-old man out of dementia. When you're scared and you're 18 and you're going off to war, 
And on the way, somebody loves you and is kind to you. But one of the most famous was in North Platte, Nebraska. Thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with us. Now, recently I became aware of your organization, which is called BRAVE. Now, that's an acronym for what? Um, that is for the Burke Rehab Adaptive Sports for Veterans. Okay. If somebody can give me from a 10,000-foot level, what the BRAVE program is. The BRAVE program is a comprehensive program for veterans and members of the armed forces. So anyone from the Army, Marines, Air Force, anything like that. And the program offers access to adaptive sports and recreation. Um, and the best part is there's no charge for this program. So it's an adaptive sports program where vets can just come out, participate, and, you know, if they need an adaptation, they're missing a limb, you know, they have PTSD, depression, anything along those lines, we can adapt our program to help better suit them. Okay, Burke Hospital is a, a really unique facility in that it's um, focused solely on rehabilitation. Tell us a little bit about this remarkable facility, how long it's been around and uh, how it's developed. So I know it's been around for a while. It is located in White Plains, which is in Westchester, New York, and they offer a full range of neurological, musculoskeletal, cardiac, pulmonary rehab. So that can be anything from a heart attack to just generalized weakness to more complex things like traumatic brain injuries and comas and things of, of that nature. And they do both inpatient and outpatient. So you can come here and you can stay here or you can come in as outpatient and receive the same treatment that you could in, in the facility. Now, is that a referral from the VA or from anybody? No, nope, it could be a referral from anyone. So we're just a branch out of Burke Rehabilitation Hospital. We're like the outpatient aspect of it. So anyone can come to the hospital, but only veterans can participate in our program. So as we said before, creative arts, for example, is very effective in the treatment of vets suffering from psychological and physical wounds of war. And I would put adaptive sports under that heading, although it's maybe not technically a creative art. So let's start, if somebody could um, define for me, what is an adaptive sport? An adaptive sport is any type of sport. It could be soccer, it could be football, it could be rock climbing, where if someone needs an adaptation, we figure out a way that they can participate in the program, just maybe a little, in a different type of way. So 
So, for example, if someone still wants to rock climb and they have a spinal cord injury, we find a way for them to still be able to rock climb. It just may look a little bit different because they may not be able to use their legs. So we could sit there and adapt any sport for a, an individual with a disability so that they can still participate. They can still do the actual sport, but just in their own individual way. And where did the concept of adaptive sports begin? Does anybody know? Adaptive sports started specifically for veterans with wheelchair basketball. After World War II, the government wanted veterans to participate in sports to have rehabilitation. And so wheelchair basketball was specifically made for veterans at that time. And then after that, you know, it snowballed, it became something different. It became something for not just veterans, but for people with spinal cord injuries, kids, et cetera. And people talk about PTSD in connection with the military, but we're realizing that PTSD can affect anybody who's had a traumatic experience. And, you know, these are very, these things are very important to you repurposing the individual, I guess, maybe is a good way to put it. One of the vets said to me one day, he said, you know, when you, you, you go off to war and you come back changed, your family has changed and grown without you. The people you grew up with have changed. The world has changed. So mm-hmm. the question is, who am I now? What is my purpose? Right. right. So adaptive sports, amongst other things, does a lot to restore that purpose, uh, a reason to get up in the morning. Right. So let's talk a little bit about those benefits to folks with disabilities, and more importantly, the benefits, because we know that PTSD and and those afflictions, much like a virus, affect everybody around the veteran. So how does adaptive sports benefit those with disabilities and a veteran, and how does that help uh, heal the family and friends and associates around the veteran? So let me just chime in just a little bit. Us as recreation therapists, we focus on the entire person. We're not focusing too much on the disability because we're targeting depression. We're targeting, you know, social skills. There might be someone who feels isolated, which we see in veterans and people with disabilities. And we're using sports or their favorite leisure activities to bring them back into, you know, just maybe socializing with their friends and getting them back into the community. And this is really what we're trying to do with the veterans is to get them out of the household and to get back into the community and be around the people that they know, the people that they enjoy spending time with. We're just using the sports and adapting it as they need it to ensure that they are having a good time. You know, it's therapeutic. Whatever modality that you're using, it becomes another tool to help you get through to that person, to help you restore their uh, their purpose in life and such. The adaptive sports is a modality that we're using to ensure that that person is comfortable and that person is able to return to at least, you know, baseline. It brings you back to that sense of quote-unquote normal because everything that these guys have been through is not normal. It's not normal to go overseas and come back okay. But this brings them back to to that reality of like, wow, I can still do this stuff even though I've also done A, B, and C. 
it takes that ability to say, okay, I can do this again, and not just turn around and say, oh, all hope is lost, I'm done. You know, another positive that can come from adaptive sports, I do believe, is just maintaining health, but also feeling like you're included and feeling like, oh, I can go out into the community, I can see my old friends, I can make new friends, and people who understand what I've gone through. And that sense of inclusion and that sense of support and community is something that we're trying to make with our adaptive sports program. Okay, there's a long list of the sports that you guys uh, have available that you work with at Brave. Would you run down that list? Because it's pretty impressive. Absolutely. We have about 12 sports. We have archery, bowling, boxing, hand cycling, kayaking, hiking, off-roading, rock climbing, sailing, snow skiing, and water skiing. So how many vets roughly are involved with the BRAVE program at any one time, an average? We just launched this program about six weeks ago. And in those six weeks, we've had about 20 vets participate so far. And we're looking forward to get more people involved. It's all word of mouth and all getting it out there. What would be your message to someone who's listening or a family member or a friend that knows someone that could benefit from this? I mean, definitely come out, come have fun. You know, all this is free of charge. So anything that you want to try, try it. There's nothing. We've had guys recently who haven't. We just had bowling. Some of, some of these guys haven't bowled in 70 years. And they started with, oh, I can't. You don't know you can't till you try it. So you might as well come out, enjoy the day, enjoy the sport. And you know what? If you can do it, you learn something new about yourself. If you can't do it, you got to, you got to come out. You got to meet people. You got to tell your story. And that's the most important part is you can't stay isolated sitting at home. Do things. You know, you have to get yourself out of the slump that you may be in. This is the best way to do it. And it's fun. That's the other part. You need to have fun. You know, bowling, boxing, hand cycling. All this is fun, and so it's important to understand that you can have fun again. How long does it take in the short time that uh, you've been involved with this program for a new vet who comes in and is a little bit uh, nervous and what have you to look around and, and see that others in the program have some of the same issues as they do and they can actually appreciate each other and, and sometimes laugh at each other and, and have a good time? It's almost instantaneous. I will give you an example just from yesterday. We went bowling and we had one guy in particular and he was like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to participate today. You know, my knees hurt. I haven't bowled in four years. I have all these injuries. I fell. I broke both my legs and so forth. And I said, you know what, how about you just place yourself on a list and you'll see how you feel, you know, whilst we're here. We're here for two hours. Let's fill it out. And within five minutes, I've seen everybody just grabbing the balls, changing their shoes. He was like, okay, I'm going to try it. And he had such an amazing time. And the crazy part about that experience for me is these people don't really know each other. And they came together, and I thought they were from the same station, from the same vet center. I just thought they all knew each other for such a long time, but they didn't. They had just met, and it was so much fun. It was just a beautiful thing to experience for me. 
Recently, I met a couple of you folks up at the the stand-down in Monticello. How was that gathering for you? That was also a very incredible experience for us. It was myself and um, Lauren. We didn't know anybody there, and we got to meet all these different agencies and organizations focused on providing safe and sure services for our veterans. And, you know, another thing for us coming into this is we assume that these things do not exist. But now we're finding out that it's such a large community and we all have the same goal because we really want to provide the necessary services and care for our veterans. So that way they are not left standing in the corner or left isolated at home without receiving. It could be something as basic as food. We want to make sure that they are getting everything just for the basic to the extreme. They are valued and they receive everything that they need so that way they could live a positive quality life. Okay, if there's anything I did not cover or closing thoughts? We're just excited to get started. We're excited to, you know, help vets and collaborate with other organizations to start something new and start something great. You know, we want to make sure that every single person gets the opportunity that they deserve. You know, these guys went out, they fought for our country, and the least we can do is give back. And this is the best way we can give back to the vets in our general area. You know, we're covering everything from Rockland County, Orange County, Bergen County, New Jersey, Fairfield County, Connecticut. So we have a very large area and we'd love to see vets from every single area. Even if you're not living in those areas, come out anyway, come see us because we do have a lot of programming going on right now. And and we're excited to see where this program goes and how many how many lives we can really change and help. And also just to add, even if we're not offering a sport that they want to participate in and they just want to come hang out, we encourage that as well because again, we want to get you out from the house and, you know, not sit in the depression that's holding you from doing things that, you know, you once enjoyed. And even if we're not offering the service that they want to participate in, we could always use the resources that we're gathering to connect them with the people that they also want to be, you know, around or the people that they need to speak to. I think also that the great thing about this program is that once we find an interest in a sport in the areas that we were talking about, once we find that interest, we can take that sport to them. So transportation, if there's a problem with transportation, if they can't make it to Westchester or Fairfield and they're interested in a certain sport and they let us know, then we can just take it to them. And what, it'll be five minutes away by car maybe? So that's, I think that's what's so great about Brave is that we can take it to wherever they are. So how did the concept of Brave come about? Who thought about that and who said, here's a great idea? This is actually a grant that was given to the hospital. So this is coming from the team here at Burke. One of our heads involved in that is Eileen Andreasi, and she has such positive connections with the community here and also the VA in Montrose. So they are also a part of the team, and they actually sat down and developed this program because the hospital here at Burke, they also have an adaptive sports program. So it's just a matter of extending that service out to a different population and community as opposed to just the people down here in Westchester. Okay, how do we get started if somebody listening, what have you, wants to get started or get somebody that they know or or perhaps themselves involved 
in Brave, and how do they contact you guys? Where can they find more information? So we are readily available. There's always someone in the office. They could reach us by email or phone. The Brave email is brave, V for Victor, P for Peter at Burke, B-U-R-K-E dot org. Or they could just call, call us on phone, 914-597-2468. Uh, leave us a message, you know, and we'll surely get back to them, you know, within 24 hours. Do vets require anything special to get involved in the BRAVE program? So they require um, medical clearance because it is an adaptive sports program. Um, if they don't really have like a doctor to give them clearance to join the program at some point, um, they could always come here to the Berg um, Rehab Hospital, and one of our physicians would be happy to you know see them and grant them that clearance. So, but I, I have to believe there's an application of sorts that would guide you down that road. Yes, it's a very very simple um, packet that we give out. Um, it's just basic demographics and. It's also informative for us on our end to let us know, you know, what adaptations, if any, is required to participate in any of the ones, the, the sports that we're offering. So that way we kind of, we could prepare ahead of time um, to determine what help or what assistance they will need once, they, once they're there. Do you have a web or a Facebook presence? For right now, we do not. Um, we're in the process of creating such establishments. We are also on Instagram, the Three Brave Girls. You can follow us. It's just something that's detached from the hospital, but it's something personal for us as the facilitators of the program. So they can follow us on Instagram to see what's available for them as well. We post the activities that we're doing weekly and monthly on there. Well, this has been very informative, and I want to thank you all for taking the time to participate in our program on Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill, WJFF. Ashley, Janelle, and Lauren, thank you. Thank You're very you. welcome. Thank you. From the battle lines to the grocery lines From the harsh terrain to the carpool lane From the M16 to did you brush your teeth? Mommy, where have you been trying to explain Why I'm a little different than I was six months ago? I seem a little distant but I'm trying not to let it show when you think about a soldier, do you think about me? Do you think about a woman in a man's fatigues? I fight like all the others, stand beside my band of brothers. I sacrifice and pay the price so we can only when you think about a soldier Do you think about me? From a live grenade to a soccer game 
From an armored vest to a Sunday dress From a Humvee to do you still love me They ain't been the same ever since you left Now I'm a little different than I was six months ago It's a tough transition over there and then back to In 1941, it was a town of 12,000 people. The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 12,000 people at this Union Pacific Railroad hub called North Platte. Ten days later, there was a train coming through with National Guard troops. The word went out it was Nebraska National Guard troops, and so some folks baked cookies and stuff and went down to the train. And they went down to, to give them some cookies, but they looked in the windows, and it wasn't Nebraska guys. They couldn't find any of their own... Thank you for taking the time to uh, come on to Let's Talk Vets. Well, thank you. It's my privilege and a big pleasure. Well, you're a psychologist by trade and also, judging by the audio you've provided, a very accomplished harpist. And we know that performance arts and specifically music have um, some qualities which can calm 
people having problems, especially those with uh, PTSD, and that is not confined to the military. Uh, but because we're focused on veterans, we talk a lot about PTSD, and we we know that roughly 30% of returning veterans are diagnosed with some form of PTSD, and that raises the question then, how many go undiagnosed? So what are the real numbers? And uh, there's a question also of how many of those are self-medicating. And the data we saw indicates about 20% of those who are diagnosed with PTSD are self-medicating. So in 2015, while working with veteran hospice patients, you noticed a correlation between the music being played and the reaction of the patient. And subsequently, you have focused on veterans. Let's start with your journey, which led you to your recognition of the healing power of the harp. Well, here we go. In uh, November of 2015, on the recommendation of my harp teacher here in Tucson, I started playing at a local hospice. And one of the things I noted, uh, just by accident, there were several tunes that if someone was agitated or was fighting their medication or was having difficulty falling asleep, uh, that worked like magic. One of them was a Celtic tune in a, a, a mode that we don't usually hear. It's not major and it's not minor. And as a matter of fact, it's so calming we had pet therapy at that hospice and uh, one of the dogs wouldn't stop barking and I played that tune and got him to stop and fall asleep. goes further, the hospice required me to become certified as a therapeutic musician. So I had to read 17 books and do book reports, but I also have a final project, and that final project is about veterans. I call it to calm and command. One part of it is to soothe veterans who become agitated or re-experience PTSD in a hospital or hospice setting. And another part is the honor ceremonies that we do at bedside. What music uh, would the veteran 
really like to have played. And I think one of the, my favorite things that I ran across as I was working on my final project, that uh, in World War I, there was a young U.S. singer, Paula Lind Ayers, as she had kind of an alto voice, and she went to sing for hospitalized servicemen and women, and it was found that her voice calmed people with severe stress or trauma, and that they especially responded uh, to slow, popular, or lullaby-like music. Uh, and the story says, not ragtime. In fact, French physicians began prescribing her to sing at bedside for soldiers afflicted with, they, with what they then called shell shock. The songs likely had a further influence because they took you out of the hospital setting if they were popular songs, back to where you felt safe, had images and memories uh, that were very uh, positive. Well, in the background information you provided, you noted the following. I noted we have many veterans who, because of their weakened state or the cues of the healthcare setting, began to re-experience stress, anxiety, and PTSD. By accident, I hit upon several tunes that seem to be calming. So I, I wanted to ask you to elaborate on uh, what are the cues of a healthcare setting that would be upsetting to a veteran? Medication, for one thing. Any hospitalization-related uh, thing that might take you back to where you were injured or, or wounded or hospitalized for any reason. Some of the veterans refused medication. They would have that stoic, I can handle this. And also anytime the nurses, the doctors, just that may be a cue of uh, former times that were not so happy. So you're going through an arduous process to become a certified therapeutic musician therapeutic musician and we're going to get back to that later because i found that interesting i didn't know that that is something that existed but you've been going through hoops to become a therapeutic musician right uh, actually i am doing an online course uh, that's based out of australia and is global the Institutional Review Board is so I can publish and so I meet really fine standards of caring for human subjects, maintaining their confidentiality, making sure that there's a referral resource if anything in my online survey upsets anybody. Of course, in the um, hospice setting, um, a lot of times people can't tell you what music they like so you decided to do a survey of veterans uh, who are not in that hospice setting to see what, what types of music and try to correlate that to the branch of service, the age of the vet, the, the years that they, they served, and, and then connect that to somebody that you're trying to help in, in the hospice setting, correct? Absolutely uh, correct. And already in the responses that I've gotten, there are uh, some surprises and some trends that I, I hope as I get more responses and the data becomes very stable 
that I really understand fully. For example, one person said that when they become stressed, their go-to music that they like to listen to is the theme from Boys in the Hood. And if you go online and you listen to that, it's slow. And uh, one of the things we try and do is match resting heartbeat and breathing rhythm because that in itself is calming. So I hope to pull out a list of the favorites that I'll later publish in a journal that therapeutic musicians and music therapists might read so that they can uh, also use these favorite tunes. So it's not only the... um the tune being played, but it's the way that it's being played, the tempo and, and et cetera. And also, it's interesting that you can pick up subtle responses, I guess, from whatever feedback they can give you uh, to tell you whether they're enjoying it or, or, or not. Yes. The online sur- uh, survey actually has people rate how calming they find the music that I hit upon, and there's only uh, seven tunes that I put up there as well as saying what they find calming, what is their their go-to music. And I'm hoping that I pull out characteristics of this music. Often what people have been saying they really liked is not major or minor. It's in what we call modal keys. And these modal keys are used all over the world in Native American uh, music, in folk tunes from all over the world, Celtic for one example, uh, India meaning um, India, India, uh, etc. Almost every culture has had a harp in it. Could any instrument be used? Yes, but they should have certain characteristics. Guitar is often used, but a harp has a very special characteristic. My big harp is right over here and I am going to walk over to it and I'm going to hit a low note and you will not only hear that low note but if I touch other strings they're actually vibrating as well if I hit a very low note it's still resonating I hit it a few seconds ago and it's making other strings vibrate up and down the harp. So there is something about that that makes the harp very, very special. It's almost like a harmonic or a uh, subset or a division of the primary frequency of an electrical wave. Is it possible that, that other strings are subset notes of the note you played? Yes, absolutely. Something called the overtone series. Okay. So I hit, I hit a low C, the C above it vibrates, the G above that vibrates, the B flat above that vibrates, and on and on. When we knew that music was great for veterans, as are all the creative arts, but uh, the way you're explaining it, we're going a lot deeper into that, and that's, and that's fantastic. And we want to point out, PTSD is not exclusive to the military community, right? That is correct. Um, And as a matter of fact, one of the physicians at this hospice, a nurse, one of the volunteer coordinators, 
and a social worker and I actually have a publication. It was a pilot study on non-pharmacological interventions across the board for people who are experiencing agitation in, in the hospice setting. And some of the medications that usually help with agitation when you are in a fragile state like you are in hospice don't work. So it was important for this physician to find other things or combinations of things that did work. And taking away a lot of the medications and just focusing on a few and adding other forms of non-pharmacological therapy, music, pet therapy, aromatherapy, weighted blankets, seem to have a profound effect. So will you be collaborating also with the um, Alzheimer's Association? Yes, I'm sure, because at uh, Arizona, where I'm based out of, right next to our hospice, they have just built an Alzheimer facility, and that's being run by University of Arizona Banner Hospital. So yes, we're going to be collaborating. Well, it's got to be wonderfully exciting for you to be involved in this work, and especially when it's something that you never, I guess, foresaw happening. It's just one of those things that that happens, and that's uh, that's great. Yeah, and one of the things I'm kind of pleased about is we do an honor ceremony at bedside, and we might assume that what should be played in the background would be the service hymn for your service. So I transcribed all five services, including the Coast Guard, their anthems for small harp. But not every service hymn is as engaging as the other. So I also did America the Beautiful and the Star-Spangled Banner. Thank you. 
so I'm really interested in what current veterans would want played at their bedside if that ever happened to them. So aside from current treatments being used to mitigate the effects of dementia and, as you said, one of the major problems is agitation and Mm -hmm. improve the quality of life, there have to be some new strategies besides music therapy being worked on to slow the progression? Well, I'm in the hospice uh, situation, and here we could really talk about the difference between music therapy and a therapeutic musician. I'm a therapeutic musician. A therapeutic musician tries to improve quality of life and address symptoms in a very calming and relieving kind of way. We don't expect to cure anything. A music therapist may try and actually make things better and actually change symptoms for the better. So I am in the business of soothing, and that is essentially what I do. Got it, got it. So um, is there anything that we haven't talked about? Yes, please do my online survey and pass it on to others. You can email me uh, and put VET in the subject line at B-E-A-K-R-A-U-S-S, like United States ship, at gmail.com, and I will send you a recruitment script that has the link to the, the survey in it. Please help me finish out those 10 to 20 more uh, responses that I need. And then I will be publishing the sheet music. It will be free. And I will be publishing for other music therapists and therapeutic musicians a list of the music that the veterans find most calming and that they would want played at a ceremony. Well, you're certainly doing wonderful work, and we thank you for that. I'm so glad that... uh that you showed up on our radar at the Hudson Valley Veterans Task Force and I became aware of your work. So uh, what's your next project? I am doing a review of the literature on cognitive bias and medical diagnosis. It's really interesting. Um, Somebody named Daniel Kahneman received the Nobel Prize for his work on cognitive biases that were as strong as visual illusions. And he and uh, Amos Tversky started their work with uh, graduate students at elite colleges who fell into the traps just like anybody else, and so do doctors. And so uh, what is the state of how we address that? So, and then I'm going to Alaska with my youngest grandson. (laughs) <laughs> so I guess the question is, what do you do in your spare time, but you don't have any, right? Yeah, I dance tango in my spare <laughs> oh time. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> More power to you. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Krause, for taking the time to be a part of Let's Talk Vets. I think the work that you're doing is wonderful. Ordinary people are doing extraordinary things where vets are concerned, and you are certainly one of them. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure, and I I just played uh, for a vet two days ago. I go on Wednesday mornings, and he was so grateful for the music, it just made my heart sing. So 
so I get as much out as I give. There you go. Thanks again, Dr. Uh, Krause. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It would be Kansas, but they stood there, you know, with the cookies and the cakes and stuff, and finally one young woman by the name of Ray Wilson. Well, I'm not keeping my cookies. I'm not taking my cookies home. She stepped up and gave them to one of the young men, and then everybody gave her stuff. Immediately after that, when they started moving army troops through and sailors and stuff, Ray Wilson organized some women, and they decided they were going to meet the trains that came through North Platte, Nebraska. And they started to meet the trains. And over the next four and a half years, they organized mostly women, 55,000 women. And they met every train that came in, sometimes up to 32 trains a day. And the Union Pacific Railway gave the restaurant to them, and they dubbed it the North Platte Canteen. And they got 10 minutes to get off the train. These guys would jump off the train, run in there. And there would be wall-to-wall tables with sandwiches and cakes and pies. One woman said, my job during the war was to make 10 angel food cakes from scratch with turkey eggs every week in the back of that train station. Everything was rationed. People had to give it out of their own goods. He's out there and he sent five bucks. The people of these towns all over that area came there. During the course of the war, I mean, these guys would jump out of the train, run in there, and there'd be hot coffee, there'd be donuts, there'd be pheasant sandwiches in season. And I said this at the Nebraska governor's prayer breakfast, and the senator came to me afterwards and said, sometimes pheasant sandwiches out of season. And uh, they'd get back on the train, and, and, and they'd go off, many never to return. During the course of the war, six million United States servicemen and women came through North Platte, Nebraska, and every single train was met. And the story would go something like this. A guy would say, I graduated from Brooklyn High School, never been out of New York City, went down and signed up on Monday. They put me on a train going west. I rode for three days a night, sitting up, eating K-rations, not taking a shower, and somebody in the middle of the night said, North Platte, Nebraska, next stop. Never heard of North Platte, Nebraska. Jumped off the train, ran into a place, and I saw girls who looked like my sisters and my cousins and women who looked like my aunts and my mom. And they had all this food, and they just, they gave it to us. And when we left, they hugged us, and they said, Sailor, we're praying for you. God bless you. And we get back on the train, scared out of our minds, not knowing where we were going, not knowing if we'd ever come back. But when we went into that place for 10 minutes, something went away. We got back on the train, and we went on. And in the middle of the night, in because love chases away fear. And when Bob Green interviewed these guys, they'd start crying. 85-year-old guys start crying. He'd say, what are you crying for? He said, because here I, I went into that place. And for five minutes in the middle of the night in a place I'd never been to with people I'd never met, going to a place I didn't know, somebody loved me and was kind to me. I told this story in Denver. A young woman came up to me the next morning and said, when you were telling that story, I thought about my grandpa. My grandpa was in the Navy, and he lived in Pennsylvania, and I wondered, did he go through North Platte, Nebraska? She said, my grandpa's 90 years old in a nursing home, and he has dementia. He doesn't remember us most of the time. But I called him, and I said, Grandpa, this is Jennifer. And I said, Grandpa, does the name North Platte, Nebraska mean anything to you? And he said, North Platte.
Nebraska 